Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7. We've uh, been going through this brokenness series. And last week we talked about brokenness through division. We talked about the, how, how we look around our governmental systems, they're broken. We look around at our societies and, and they're decaying. And, and, and naturally we are opposed against each other. And this week what we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage of scripture that is going to display the turmoil we can face when loved ones, family, and those closest to us are not following God's instruction. And so before I read that, I would just like to mention that there are things in the Old Testament that are hard to relate to. Do you guys know what I'm saying? For instance, Wendy and I in 2001, we were interning in Papua New Guinea. And there, I remember we were traveling somewhere, and I, I don't remember the specific details, but it was, it was a long day's journey. And as we're traveling, there's a road, it, we're on a road in the middle of nowhere. There's no villages, nothing. And there's two armed guards standing there with like AK-47s. And so they stop the vehicle and they say they want to search the vehicle. And the missionary we're with says, okay, search away. And what we found out was there was a prisoner who stole one of the guards' machetes, killed two guards with the machete and escaped prison and they're looking for him, right? And then it, there, there was just a, a couple weeks later, we're holding this revival service at the, the church where we were staying close by. And the, the middle of the revival service, we hear this commotion outside and everyone has to go check out what's going on. And the police are at the local village. And what they're doing is they are on their bullhorns yelling at the people within the village because they had to go there because of a domestic dispute. And this is exactly what they said to those villagers. They said, if we have to come out here one more time, we are burning your village down. What? What, what, what planet does that happen on anymore? And I remember looking at Wendy and I said, that's Old Testament. Like, like, who does that? That's just not normal. Like, we, we would never have that here. And um, when we read passages of Scripture like what we're going to read today, it can skew our understanding of who God is. Because we don't understand God's standard of righteousness uh, before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, so it is hard for us to understand why God operated the way he did before he sent his son down to the earth. So what we're going to do today is we're going to read about a man named Achan who brought trouble upon Israel and eventually his entire family. So let's read. We're going to start in Joshua chapter 7 verses 1 through, uh, I think I'm going to go through verse 13 for now and we're going to read the whole chapter. But let's read verses 1 through 13. It says, but Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. Everyone here say set apart. A man named Achan had stolen some of those, these dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achan was the son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Beth-Avon. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for, us, for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there are so few of them, don't make all our people struggle to go up there. 
So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay, threw dust on their heads, and bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you were going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they will surround us and wipe our name off the face of the earth. And then what will happen to the honor of your great name? But the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. Everyone say set apart. And they have not only stolen them, but have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now, Israel itself has been set apart. Everyone say set apart. For destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart. Thanks, Ethan. Just a smattering of you. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And God, although it's confusing and we don't understand all of it right now, God, I pray that You help us connect through Christ in understanding this Scripture. Lord, I, I, help, I, I pray that we are helped to understand, God, Lord, what righteousness looks like when we serve Christ. I thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may have guessed, you may not have guessed, this first section I'm calling being set apart. Because what, what, what I'm seeing is I'm hearing this phrase set apart, which, which clearly means a separation of other people, a distinguishing of differently than those around you. But what we see is that these people, Israel, who are supposed to be set apart, have the favor of God removed. I want to ask you a question. I really want you to think about it. Has disaster ever struck your home or there are repeated strikes against your home or family and you realize it's not that Satan is attacking you, it's that the favor of God has been removed? You hear that and you might say, no, I, I've never experienced that because we are prone as Pentecostals that the moment something bad happens, it's easy to say, nothing bad's supposed to happen to me. I have the Spirit of the Lord with me. And you might think things like, I go to church. 
I pay my tithe, I listen to Christian radio. And so we come to the conclusion it must be an attack from Satan. I'm just going to be honest. I believe we give Satan a whole lot more credit than he deserves. Let's say that again. I believe we give Satan a whole lot more credit than he deserves. Because the bottom line is, we are sinners. We make the choice. But even today, people can experience having the favor of God removed from their life. Do you know everything good on this earth we get from God? Everything good on this earth we get from God. But there are ways that you and I, we can forfeit it. I came up with four ways. Four ways we can forfeit the goodness of God. And the first thing is when we seek the wrong blessings. Let me explain. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. It says, has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones, even though they are not gods at all? Yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord, for my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. We don't even realize we are forsaking God by choosing other gods that are worthless. Now, I guarantee you hear that and you say, Pastor, I have no golden statues in my home. I have nothing that I bow down to but God himself. But I, I, I want you to think about this because what if we turn this conversation towards what you invest most your money and time into? One of my favorite pastors to listen to explained it this way. That whatever you give your money to, you are making sacrifice to. You're making sacrifice to that thing. So we have the potential that when our commitments to other things are greater than our commitment to God, we have the potential to make those things gods in our life. The second thing we forfeit We lose our focus on true purpose. See, I, I know that if, if, if we took a poll in this room, the major majority would say, I follow Jesus Christ. But it doesn't mean our lives line up proving that it does. Okay? And so many try to serve God, but, but they also try to live out their life following their own desires and purposes. The book of James touches on the topic of not receiving what we ask for in prayer. Listen to this. He says in James 4.3, it says, And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. The third thing, when we are stuck in sin and unrepentant, the favor of God can be removed. 
Now, I'm going to discuss grace in a moment because we all know, according to Romans 3, 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Raise your hand in here if you are a sinner. Okay, so we're all in agreement here. And I would like to say that I am the chief of sinners. But here's the thing. What separates us are those who choose to turn away from their sin and those who don't. You and I, we have this ability to go to God and plead for forgiveness, but if you are stuck in sin and refuse to repent, the favor of God cannot rest upon you. Church, are you hearing me? The favor of God cannot rest upon you if you are living in unrepentant sin. The fourth thing, when we neglect God's presence. Here's the thing, church. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He, right now, we are having this church service here at 3100 Easton, and God's Spirit is still working in our other building this morning at 2130 Easton, where the church of God is meeting and having service. And God can deliver a different message to them that fits their church body than he might deliver here at this church. And his Spirit is working on an individual level in each and every one of our hearts that you might capture something that God will speak through me this morning that is going to relate to you differently than someone else sitting in this room. Right? So God is everywhere, but there are times where often you might say, God's not with me right now. I can't feel his presence. And what I'd like to call that, I'd like you to know the difference between God being omnipotent in God's manifest presence in your life. Listen to what the psalmist wrote about it when he said in Psalm 139, 7-8. He said, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. Church, what the psalmist is speaking to is that you must seek the presence of God. You must seek the presence of God and we have to recognize him and pay attention to him. Listen to Psalm 1611. Psalm 1611 says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. That speaks from the heart of someone who is seeking God, not someone who says, God, come seek me. Because church, if we're going to be set apart, we need to maintain a standard in our life. And that's what Israel was supposed to be doing is maintaining a standard. So this is the message I believe that God is sending through this story here in Joshua. Think about this. God is omnipresent. He has the ability to be everywhere at once. He sees all, hears all, knows all. There is not one thing you can keep hidden from God. So here's this man, Achan. Achan, he sees the gold and silver, and what, what, what happens is he's tempted by it, and he decides he is going to take it for himself. And so God sees it happen. He sees this happen. He knows Achan did it. But check what God does in this story. He instead removes all favor from Israel. 
Not Achan, not the household of Achan. He removes it from all of Israel. And so we have to ask, why? Why would he remove it from all of Israel when it's clearly just one person? I believe that this is God's way of displaying to Israel the importance of instruction to its people. This is God's way of displaying to Israel the importance of communication and the importance of maintaining a standard amongst the people. Amen? Because, listen to me, hear me out. The ramifications of sin are so great and the devastating consequences of sin need to be made apparent to all that they do not do it. Church, hear me out. We all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. But if we are to hear about the goodness of Jesus Christ and remain in sin, then we are failing. We are failing. Imagine for just a moment, church, if Jesus' sacrifice would have been accomplished before God created man. Imagine for just a moment, before Adam and Eve were ever created, God said, I'm going to sacrifice my son for for this creation I'm making that's just going to cause me lots of heartache and grief. So I'm just going to do it right up front. And so immediately, we are born and we discover this grace. If we didn't understand what it was like pre-Jesus Christ, I argue we would not understand his mercy. We would not understand the mercy of God. We would not be able to appreciate the grace for what it is. Grace is God's unmerited favor. You guys hear me? This is is God's unmerited favor. We do absolutely nothing to deserve it. So our lesson is that in our lives, homes, and churches, we need to instruct, we need to effectively communicate and maintain God's standard for living. That means that you and I must know the word of God and what he asked for us, we respond in obedience. And church, I'm telling you now, The moment you decide that we are going, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. The moment you decide that we are going to maintain a standard in our house, maintaining a standard in a broken world can be painful. It's painful. Because it requires removing sin. Let's finish this chapter out starting at verse 14. says, in the morning, you must present yourselves by tribes, and the Lord will point out the tribe to which the guilty man belongs. That tribe must come forward with its clans, and the Lord will point out the guilty clan. That clan will then come forward, and the Lord will point out the guilty family. Finally, each member of the guilty family must come forward one by one. The one who has stolen what was set apart at church, say it again. For destruction will himself be burned with fire along with everything he has. For he has broken the covenant of the Lord and has done a horrible thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua brought the tribes of Israel before the Lord. And the tribe of Judah was singled out. Then the clans of Judah came forward and the clan of Zerah was singled out. Then the families of Zerah came forward and the family of Zimri was singled out. 
Every member of Zimri's family was brought forward person by person, and Achan was singled out. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you have done. Don't hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. If I wanted them so much, I wanted them so much that I took them. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent, the silver buried deeper than the rest. So Joshua sent some men to make a search. They ran to the tent and found the stolen goods hidden there, just as Achan had said, with the silver buried beneath the rest. They took the things from the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and they laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. Then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robes, the bar of gold, his sons, daughters, cattle, donkey, sheep, goats, tent, and everything he had, and they brought them to the valley of Acre. Then Joshua said to Achan, why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. They piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. That is why the place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. So the Lord was no longer angry. You know what? Many people try to hide sin. But it is important and critical to God that the sin is identified. And I don't know if you're aware of this. God does illuminate sin. He illuminates sin. And oftentimes when we try to make it hidden, that is when it is most open and obvious. No matter what you believe we can remain hidden, it is impossible to serve God and serve sin. It is impossible. There are three ways God illuminates sin. The first is through the law. Listen to Romans 7, 7. It says, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, if it... If it was the law that showed me my sin, I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. Knowing God's word reveals sin in your life. Amen? The second way is through his Holy Spirit. Listen to John 16, 8. It says, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The third way God reveals sin, through others. You know, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, Jesus covers how to deal with a sinning brother. Because sometimes others' sin is more obvious to us than it is to even the people that commit it. And so one of the loving things God does is he uses brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside and deal with conflict of sin. And so Jesus instructs that if you have a brother or sister in Christ that is sinning, 
you go to them privately. Did I say you call, you phone a friend and tell them about it? No, you call, you, you, you call them or you speak to them privately. And if they choose not to repent, the second step is then you bring a witness with you. You bring someone alongside who also loves that person. They're not there to condemn, but by the grace of God, they will be convicted by the Holy Spirit. And then if they still do not respond, if they still choose to not listen, then Jesus instructs, you bring them in front of the whole church, and church, I pray to God we never get to that point with anybody. Are you hearing me? And you can say, Pastor, so much of what you spoke about today is Old Testament. These are the words of Christ. Christ is instructing, this is the way we, are, we ought to live. Some of you are so focused on the grace from day to day that you choose to live in the same sin day to day, believing God's grace covers it, and it does not. I want you to hear me again. The grace of God, that blood of Jesus Christ, if you are choosing to walk in sin unrepentant, you're not covered by the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ are for those that choose to turn away from their sin and desire to sin no more. Are you going to fail? Yes. But here's the thing. God knows your heart. He knows your heart. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, I follow Christ, and if, if, if by chance I died tonight, I'm praying that I'm forgiven, even though I know full well I'm doing it tomorrow. Guess what? God's not going to honor that prayer. He's not going to honor it. He can't. He knows your heart. He knows your heart. He knows that you're going to go and do it again. He knows what you are being drawn to. Are you being drawn to him or are you being drawn to sin? See, because I think sin is so obvious when our eyes are open to it. What God calls sinful people who don't know God at all, they call good. And so many of us are judging the standard of what is good by the way the world lives, not what, how God asks us to live, right? And so in this culture especially, it is difficult to distinguish what is good and what is evil. But church, I'm gonna say this and I want it to be crystal clear. God determines what is good and what is evil. Not our government, not our teachers, not our culture. Let God set the standard for your life because he wants to put you on a good path. But God is only going to reveal these things in your life when we seek him, when we desire to be like him. He's going to purify you. He's going to make you more like his son, Jesus Christ. And you are going to have that enriched life because you are on a constant path of following him. But so many people, what they do is they get caught up in this circular pattern where they're truly repentant. They, they truly are. But what happens is they, they lack the pursuit. You lack the pursuit of Christ. So instead, what you're doing is you're returning back to sin and you're, you're experiencing that cycle of sin with pain and turmoil and destruction and falling right back into going to God asking for forgiveness all over again. But you lack the pursuit. 
And the reality is, church, we need to seek cleansing. Amen? We need to seek cleansing. It's true. The Israelites followed the law pre-Christ and they killed Achan. They killed his whole family. They removed anything that was attached to him. And I don't know about you, but I, I hear that and I think that's brutal. That is absolutely brutal. But it is also a great lesson in the process of cleansing. And so thanks be to God that he sent his son, that his blood would be shed on the cross for us, that we might be set free of sin. Do you hear me, church? The family of Achan had to be killed because there needed to be bloodshed for the wrong that was done. You and I can stand here today because there was bloodshed for the wrong that was done. Are you hearing me? There was blood that was shed for you and I. And all we have to do is claim that in Christ Jesus and we are cleansed. We are absolved of sin. But church, you have to remain in it. You have to remain. And I want to tell you, cleansing can be attained today. Cleansing can be attained today. But you, church, You have to choose it. You have to choose it. And thanks be to God through His salvation in Jesus, you and I, we don't have to face eternal consequences for sin anymore. The things that we have done, you and I, we can receive the unmerited favor of God because He created us, He loves us, he wants to be with us, but you and I, what we have to do is we have to make the choice. We have to make the choice. Are we going to serve God or are we going to serve sin? Are we going to recognize that Jesus Christ died for us so that we no longer have to be weighed down by sin so that we can walk in freedom? Or are we going to know who Christ is but not know Christ because we are serving sin? Church, I'm going to declare what Joshua did is Israel was falling apart at the end of Joshua's leading where people were deciding to follow other gods. Joshua had to declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua said, you know what? I've tried to set a standard for all of you. I can't. I can't. I can't keep up with you. You're doing whatever you want. But my house, my house will maintain. So what I want you to do is I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. And I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Because I believe you can only truly make this declaration if you are choosing to walk in repentance. You might be the only member of your family here. You might not have family, but you are in this room. And I think you can declare that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But you have to know everything that comes with serving the Lord. You have to understand that serving the Lord comes with removing everything 
that causes you from walking in purity, walking in righteousness. That's what Israel had to do. And so I really believe you can only declare this if you're choosing to walk in being cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That if you say today, Pastor, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If that's you, will you stand to your feet? Proclaim it over your house today, church. See, some of you, some of you in this room, and I want you to look at me, some of you are authority figures in your home. Some of you, we have, we have kids standing here today, and praise God, they're declaring that over their household, right? But we have authority figures in the household. It starts with you. It starts with you, and if you can't, if you can't maintain that, chaos in the household. It starts with you. And you set the standard. But whether you are the authoritative figure in your family or not, you can set the standard for your household and your future. Are you hearing me? So I don't care if you're the youngest member standing today or the oldest. It's a declaration unto God. And so it has everything to do with his, what His Holy Spirit is speaking inside of you. That you say, no, we're setting a standard. We're setting a standard. And we will remove what has removed the favor of God on us. Let's lift our hands to the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, you see those that are standing here, and God, I am looking around at men and women and children that are declaring that over my life, God, over my household, we will serve the Lord. And God, we have discussed everything that that entails. Lord, we claim the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, over our lives because, Lord, you sent your Son to that cross to die for us so we would not have to face the same consequences as Achan and his household. And God, I proclaim over our families today that there is a standard maintained that is determined by your word, determined through what the Holy Spirit speaks. And God, the way the community of believers shows us how to live through your word. God, I know so many times in my life I have failed. So many times in my life I've had brothers and sisters in Christ love on me and show me the right way. And God, I pray that we as people can receive that in the way that it's intended, God, that we might be standing together in eternity one day. God, I thank you for every man, woman, and child here. And God, what we are declaring over this property as for us and this church, we will serve the Lord. And God, we will stand on your promises. And we know, God, that you are here and you are working and that you are going to do great things on the east side. Lord, it was said Monday night by Pastor Brian O'Dell that God, through this move, you provided two miracles. Lord, two churches are blessed. An extra church has an opportunity, God, to proclaim the goodness of what you've done on the east side of Des Moines. And God, I pray that we not rest on just a full room 
at this place. But God, we look around the neighborhood and Lord, we see the reason that you brought us here. That God, we will go out as your word says, as your son illustrates in a parable, we will go out into the highways and the hedges, Father. We will seek out people to tell of the goodness of what you've done through your son, Jesus Christ, and we will compel them to come. Lord, I praise you and I thank you. God, break our hearts, Lord, for living in obedience, Father. Show us the way we need to go on a day-to-day basis. And Lord, may we praise you through the good, the bad, because God, you have called us, as your word says, into suffering for a while so that one day we can experience the glory of heaven and understand, God, what it took for you to send your son to the earth for us. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.